0: This is 105.9 The Region. Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine covering the world of horse racing, is brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Over to your hosts, Ann Romer and Larry Simpson.
1: Good morning and welcome to Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine. So excited to welcome back to the show Woodbine trainer, the amazing Katerina Vasilieva. She and her roaring 40s are... Both champing at the bit as the powerful Thoroughbred chases his second straight win tomorrow in the Sunshine Turf Stakes at Gulfstream Park. Katarina had a career-best 2023 campaign, which included 20 victories. We're going to find out in moments what her hopes and dreams are for this year. Well, there seems to be a little bit of a theme developing on today's show. Another outstanding trainer, this time the standard red side, Desiree Jones, is our guest. Her first time on the show, in fact. Here's what we know about her so far. She's fresh off a career best year after winning 23 races and over half a million dollars in purse earnings. Desiree is in the running for an O'Brien Award next month in the Future Stars category. And she's taking a few moments from her very busy schedule to talk training with us here at Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine. And we'll be checking in with Robert Reed Jr. this morning. He's going to bring us up to speed literally and figuratively on all things harness racing at Woodbine Mohawk Park and Western Fair in London. And finally, he's back. My co-host Larry Simpson will once again try to sniff out some potential betting gems at Woodbine Mohawk Park and some other North American tracks racing today with our Ponies Picks of the Day, sponsored by Rocket Chip Racing. It's going to be one heck of a great show, so please get your HBI and Dark Horse accounts ready to go for some heavy-duty action. When we come back, Larry Simpson will join us with our new show feature, In Case You Missed It, Ponies 24-7's recap of the week that was in horse racing news, sponsored by RS Bulk Propane.
0: Ponies 24 7, the radio magazine. Brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. More from the track when we come back on 1059, the region.
2: Go from Dark Horse to Winner. Dark Horse is Woodbine's new easy to use betting app that brings the thrill of the track right to you. Its AI powered insights and strategies help you make smarter bets straight out of the gate.
0: this is 105.9 the region ponies 24 7 the radio magazine covering the world of horse racing is brought to you by woodbine woodbine mohawk park ontario racing and rocket ship racing over to your hosts ann romer and larry simpson
1: Welcome back to Ponies 24 7, the radio magazine. I'm Ann Romer. Here is my co host, Larry Simpson, and our, in case you missed it, a look at the week that was in horse racing news and sponsored by RS Bulk Propane. Always good to be sharing the microphone with you, Larry. And I'm excited about the Metro Pace. It's going to have a guaranteed purse of a million dollars this September.
4: Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting back up to, to the $1 million dollars. It's for two year olds. It's one of the biggest two year old races of the year, uh, in, not just here at uh, Woodbine Mohawk Park, but also in North. North America. I believe uh, last year the purse uh, got up to like 970000 or something like that, but they're going to guarantee it to a million this year. So. A
1: million has a much better sound to it. It does. It, <laughs> sounds, it
4: sounds great. You it know, does. And uh, uh, so really what's happened now is the Metro Pace joins the Pepsi North America Cup and the Mohawk Million is Canada's only million dollar standard bread races. So. Excellent news. And, yep. and
1: Ken Middleton is back. That's such great news. Yeah,
4: this past week, uh, Kenny, uh, who was we've had on the show uh, a lot, he's a friend of the show, and uh, he was recuperating from a training accident uh, when he was out training his horses. Uh, he returned to the announcers' booth at Woodbine Mohawk Park this week. So, uh, how did he sound? He sounded great, like he hadn't missed a day. Yeah,
1: absolutely. He's terrific. He's such a pro. He is. Ken Middleton, got to listen for him. Thank you, Larry. And that's In Case You Missed It, sponsored by RS Bulk Propane on Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine.
5: Are you looking for a reliable propane supplier for your home or business? Look no further than RS Bulk Propane, Canadian-owned and family-operated. With our premium propane solutions, you'll experience warmth like never before. We offer competitive prices, automated deliveries, and exceptional customer service. Don't let the cold get the best of you. Stay cozy with RS Bulk Propane. Visit rspropane.com or call us today at 855-225-0225.
1: Katerina Vasilyeva, that's a name that we know and we will continue to hear about in the future. She joins us now on Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine. She is uh, someplace that we would like to be. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Katarina, and it's great to have you with us. Thank you very much. And where exactly are you right now?
6: I am at Gulfstream Park in Hallandale Beach, Florida. <laughs> I
1: told you why we wanted to be with
4: yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
6: so the weather is a lot nicer here than up north, I hear. <laughs>
4: Yeah, you're right there. So, uh, well, let's let's talk about it. Uh, tomorrow is the Sunshine Turf Stakes at Gulfstream, and you have a horse by the name of Roaring Forties in there. Uh, he won this race, I think, last year, did he not?
6: Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So it's a steak for Florida Bread, um, and he did, in fact, win it last year. It was his first time actually running against uh, State Bread Company, and um he handled it really well you know he's an older dude he's been running against a lot tougher um competition up north in canada um, including graded stakes races he's never won any other stake races other than the sunshine turf but he's always he's always a trier whenever he runs in those types of races he's not getting beat far you know two three four five lengths um so it was a bit of a class relief for him uh, in terms of the type of competition he was facing um, and, you know, he rose to the challenge and he was able to step up and we're hoping to repeat again this year. And will, have you
1: changed the way you train him from last year to this year?
6: No, uh, pretty much. You know, he's an old dude that um, he knows his job and um, he makes it easy for us. He kind of tells us what, what he needs to do. He um, doesn't doesn't require a whole lot um he's very smart and athletic and he keeps himself in good condition um so it's just you know just keeping him fit and happy is really all it's been about and of course there's some some period of time that's required for for the acclimatization you know coming from cold weather canada to down here down south so um you know gave him a little bit of of time to just take it easy in the beginning the first couple of weeks when we arrived and um And then just sort of took it from there. He's had four breezes um, since arriving to Florida. He had a little bit of a break as well um, up in Ocala, Florida, between the end of the woodbine season and the beginning of the Gulf Stream meet. So I think that did him some good. And, you know, he's coming back a, a relatively fresh horse.
4: But he is a horse that runs well when he's fresh too, right?
6: Yeah, he's just, like I said, he's a trier. You can always count on him to show up and... And do his best, even if he's not winning the race, he's he's going to show up and he's going to be right there. So,
1: and the fact that he's an old dude—you've mentioned that a couple of times—is that going to work against him, or will the experience make him victorious tomorrow? Uh,
6: I think I think that um, I respect horses like him, you know, that have lasted this long. Um, he's very sound. He's very stoic. Um, yes, experience definitely. He's had something like thirty starts. Um, so I, no, I don't think, and he seems to be very happy to be still racing. So I, I, don't think that it's, um, a negative against him for sure.
1: It's interesting. You talk about him and I've noticed this with other trainers. You talk about him like he is a person in a way.
6: <laughs> well, they all, um, trainers know that all horses have their own unique idiosyncrasies, their own, um, personalities. Uh, and when you work with them every day, you kind of get to. Know what each of them is like, and um, yeah, they're just like us. You know, they have their likes and dislikes, and they have their their own personalities. Some of them are happy, some of them are feel good, some of them, you know, tend to want to be sort of you know alone or um, do their own thing, and some are nervous. Some are, you know, there. It's all all types of spectrums of personalities and horses that you you get to meet. That's part of what makes my job so much fun. Is that um, no one horse is the same as the other.
4: Well, let's uh, change tracks now. Let's talk woodbine, especially uh, let's reflect back on 2023. What kind of season was it for you?
6: It was a good season for my stable. Um, It was the highest earning so far of my career, as well as, um, you know, in in terms of the number of wins, it was uh, the highest so far in my career. So I was very pleased um, to have that sort of a season. You know, it's sort of, I've been in, business for over 10 years now so sort of building been building up to this moment and um you know i'm tending to get better quality horses now um to train in the barn which i'm really thankful for a couple years ago you know i had a chance to compete in the queen's plate for example and um so so i'm very thankful for those opportunities uh that that owners are giving me and and uh, to have those types of you know high higher caliber horses in the barn now.
1: Can you describe your stable from last year? And then let's talk about what you're
6: hoping for, for 2024. My stable from last year was about 25, 30 horses. And, um, uh, I had some, you know, I had some horses I was really excited about that, that ran well. Um, I had a, a filly called Witch Hazel who, who won a couple of races for us up there. Um, a a, a route you know she we discovered that she wanted to go two turns. so so i'm really excited about her future for next year um she was a three-year-old in 2023 so she'll be racing against older company but um i'm looking forward to you know to seeing how she does um as well i had a really promising young colt called piper's factor he he broke his maiden and then he was um second in the uh, grade three gray stakes and he's down here in florida with me uh over the winter so you know he's a potential queen's plate uh hopeful so that's another exciting prospect um, in the barn for sure uh i've got some uh youngsters some two-year-olds that um i'm really excited about as well um one of them is a half brother to ronder which is the aforementioned horse that i ran in the <laughs> queen's plate a few years ago so so you know there's definitely some horses with some some exciting potential that i we look forward to to seeing where they take us
4: when Danny Vela retired, you took over training some of his horses right What was the connection between you and Danny?
6: uh Danny and I have always had a mutual respect for each other um you know on a professional level um we always used to chat on the rail kind of thing and um I, I guess uh, what it was is that um, his, some of his owners, when they found out that he was uh, retiring, had asked him for recommendations of trainers to go to. And um, I'm very thankful to Danny because I guess my name was on, on that list of recommendations. And uh, that's sort of how that connection happened.
1: How did this all come about? I understand that you at one point wanted to be a forensic scientist. <laughs> this is a long way from being a forensic scientist, <laughs> being a top-notch trainer.
6: <laughs> yeah, I get asked that question a lot. It seems like a big jump in careers, doesn't it? Um, basically, the the short answer is that I've always loved horses and I've always had this sort of gravitational pull to them. Uh, when I was younger, I would you know ride horses for fun, for pleasure, I never had my own horse, though, so I was always sort of, you know, hungry for more more time around them with them. And um, so during my time sort of with the show horses, I uh, met some people who worked at the racetrack, and that's what sparked my idea about, you know, going there and maybe looking for a job. So I did that one summer when I was, I was still in university, but I went to the racetrack hoping to earn some tuition money for school, and I caught the bug. I just fell in love with uh, the sport of racing itself, and um, I just wanted to learn every everything I could about it, and it, I just sort of never left. That was from 2006.
4: So you've been training for quite a while. Now, if you were out there trying to sell yourself to potential owners and that, and they asked you, "What? where do you excel? Do you excel with uh, uh, young horses, uh, turf horses, distance horses, sprinters? What would you tell them?
6: I, I think that my strong suit is that I individualize a program to every horse. Um, I'm very hands on and I like to know each of my horses. Uh, I tell my owners they're like a puzzle piece. You know, I want to figure out what makes each and every one of them tick. And so, and I, and I like the challenge of um, being able to train different, a variety of horses, you know, um, a stake horse as well as a 5,000 claimer. And, you know, I'd like to think that we do it just as well. Um, so, so that's one of the um, fun parts for me is just getting to figure out what each individual horse needs and to design a program to um, help that horse reach its highest potential.
1: It's very analytical. I can see where that scientist in you is coming out. <laughs> so, Katerina, how do you then determine what makes a horse that you are training actually tick? How do you do that?
6: Just uh, observe, a lot of observing day to day, you know, being around them and um, just just getting to know them really, watching and observing.
4: Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about: Is there a race? And I probably know the answer to this: <laughs> Is there a race that you haven't won as yet that you'd like to?
1: Maybe
6: King's Plate now.
1: You did drive <laughs> the Queen's Plate. <laughs>
6: i would love to win the the king's plate yes but i would love to be the first female trainer to win the kentucky derby
3: oh i know yes. that that's a,
6: i know that that's a lofty goal but you know um with jenna antonucci winning the belmont last year yeah. i'm sure that a lot of female trainers or or females and you know a similar profession as mine horse racing would would agree that it sort of sparked you know some sort of motivation or inspiration in us to you know to think that we could win those big races as well
1: and you know what you've got several
6: months to to put this plan together
1: how do you how do you assemble a plan to win the Kentucky Derby well I'm not saying it's going to happen this year
6: but (laughs) (laughs) um you, you well first and foremost you need you need a horse with talent obviously um you need a young horse with talent and you know there's um there's certain qualifying races that you would you would approach you know in order to to get that goal a lot of the qualifying races are actually here in in south florida so wouldn't be surprising if um the next kentucky derby winner you know is training here training here right now
4: so are you you looking forward to 2024 katarina and getting back to woodbine and what, what kind of season are you looking forward to
6: yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm hoping to build on um, what what we established in 2023, and you know, um, I always what I, what I aim for is consistency. You know, I'd like to have a, a consistent win average. of Most of us trainers, that's what we aim for. Um, you know, have have more wins and the the stable win percentage, and um, just sort of I'd be like to be able to compete in more stakes races. Hopefully, win a few of them. Um. yeah, just just sort of build on what, what's already established and go from there.
1: Do you have a mentor?
6: Mm, a mentor? There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of trainers that I respect in the industry, of course. Uh, you know, horsemen like Todd Fletcher and Bill Mott and Wayne Lucas and and the greats. Um, you know, I, I look up to all of those great horsemen for sure.
4: Best horse you've ever trained so far?
6: Well, if you look on Equibase, um, according to earnings, it would be Big Bazinga. And actually, (laughs) speaking of uh, the Kentucky Derby, Big Bazinga and I almost did make it to the Kentucky Derby. Um, But unfortunately, he got sick the week before we were able to run in it. But um, that was a wild ride because I was only two or three years into my training career. And, um, you know, this horse was just a regular sort of... Horse that was bought for twenty five thousand at the keeneland sale and um he, he had enough derby points to you know allow us to have that journey so so it was so much fun and um we got to compete in the spiral at turfway park in the bluegrass which he was fourth which was a really big deal it earned us some more points towards the kentucky derby and um it was the year california chrome won the derby so even though we didn't get to participate in it, unfortunately, we did get to train, you know, at, at tracks that I love and respect. And I watch racing all the time, like Keeneland, Churchill. So we were there derby week, you know, training with, with the great um, horses that did end up running in the Kentucky Derby. And that was such an amazing experience amazing experience for me that I'll, I'll never forget i think that's sort of what sparked me wanting to get back there too
4: <laughs>
1: you have an incredible past and a bright future that is for sure we're both larry and i and our producer phil we're all rooting for roaring 40s tomorrow in the sunshine turf stakes at gulfstream thank you so much for spending time with us here on ponies 24 7 the radio magazine
6: thank you so much for having me on
1: when we come back, Standard Red trainer Desiree Jones joins us shortly on Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine.
0: Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 the Region. We'll be right back.
7: pine view hyundai the smart choice of automobile dealerships combining horses and horsepower for over 35 years the romeo family has been a part of the ontario thoroughbred racing industry and they want to invite you to visit their pine view dealership and view their award-winning hyundai lineup today and take advantage of some hot summer savings deals come see us at 3790 highway 7 in Vaughan. Call us at 905-851-2851 to make an appointment or visit our website, pineviewauto.com, and see why Pineview Hyundai remains the smart choice.
1: Welcome back to Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine. Desiree Jones joins us. She is a standard red trainer, and she's so good at what she does that she's up for an O'Brien Award in the Future Stars category. Welcome to the show for the first time, Desiree.
9: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
4: Let's talk about being nominated for the O'Brien Award, Desiree, as a, as a future star. Uh, what did that mean to you when you actually found out that you had been nominated?
9: Sure. Yeah. Um, one of my assistant trainers came into the barn and told me that morning that I had been nominated and the process isn't something that I was familiar with. So he had explained to me how it works and how I got nominated in the first place and how people would have to vote. So I kind of got excited, uh, even at the thought that I could be a finalist. And when I did become a finalist, that was really exciting. So my family is really happy and the people around me are really happy. It's exciting for everyone
1: and you had a great year last year didn't you
9: Yes. yeah it was a record best year for me I mean some things went really really well and there was some things that I wish could have went better but that's (laughs) the story with everything
4: how many horses have you got down there with you
9: Right now I have 18, I have 16 babies, and I have two three-year-olds that I'm bringing back.
1: And as somebody who is just learning about the horse racing industry, that would be me, uh, as a rather newcomer to this show, only a year, is that a big number? Is that a large number?
9: Uh, you know, I think that it's it's quite average. Last year I had 30, and it seemed like a lot to manage, but a, a lot of the large, large trainers that train out of the States would have anywhere from 50 to 60. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's a huge number, but it's a comfortable number.
4: You're not working alone with them. You've got assistants and assistant trainers. I'd explain that.
9: Absolutely. So um, for my stable in particular, usually per every five horses, I have a groom, so down here right now i only have three grooms i have also one assistant trainer who trains with me out on the track and then the owner is actually down here as well so he he kind of works as an assistant trainer as well so i have actually a pretty large staff for just 18 horses Uh, that's really what makes the wheels go around it's not just me by myself
1: and talk to us about sunshine meadows equestrian center that's where you are right now what's a typical day like for you there
9: Sure. So it's a lot nicer than uh, what I remember back home. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've only been down down here for two years, but last year when we came down, we kind of fell in love with it. You know, you show up at 6 or 6.30 and it's already warm outside. You don't have to take the blankets off the horses or clear any snow. So uh, we get on the track pretty early. I would say about 7 to 7.30 every morning and we'll jog or train for about three hours and then give the grooms a chance to give them a nice put away and then feed lunch around twelve or twelve thirty. So, it's it's a good system. It's a very comfortable system here. You know, I, I still remember in Canada putting coolers on and winter blankets <laughs> and having to clip the race horses. And <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely a privilege. Distant memories. Yes. Well, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, let's 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 talk a little bit about your career as a trainer. You came from a horse racing family, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah, and and when did it all start for you? When did you decide that you were going to be a trainer and you just didn't walk in to be a trainer? Were you like an assistant trainer before oh, that? or?
9: Well, this was actually a very interesting road. So my father was a trainer his entire life. And when I was about 13 or 14, he actually took over a training center, operating a training center. So I had the opportunity for my house to be right on the farm. So I was really hands-on through high school and helping him out in the barn and that's kind of when i really fell in love with the business i used to go to the races with him a lot more than i did as a very young kid so he let me train in the race bike for the first time and jog horses so it it became more of a passion then um as i got older his owner at the time stormont meadows one of his biggest owners you know him and my dad kind of decided that it would be best that I didn't get into the industry as a young woman. And I'm sure that you've heard this, uh, this feel before. And there's a lot of opinion in this business, hmm. especially year, years ago that uh, as a young woman coming up, you should probably have something to fall back on. It's uh, it's not the easiest industry to cut it in and it's not very easy to be successful. So I took their advice, even though I didn't want to, I went to school for business marketing uh, something I kind of just picked out of the book. And I did my degree, I got out I found a job actually uh, doing website development and lead input uh, for a travel company. And I really enjoyed that job. But I still found my ch- myself every chance I got just to go back to the barn and go to the races and help my dad. So mm. I eventually approached my dad. And I said, you know, it, it was at the point where he was kind of thinking about retiring or getting out of the business. And not only for myself but for him I didn't want to lose that passion I didn't want him to stop and me not to then have an opportunity to train myself Eric was nice enough to give me my first opportunity to train a little stable and at that point I took over all of my dad's horses that he had for Stormont Meadows and the rest is kind of history. And what
1: does it take to train a standard bred horse and what what makes you sort of stand out from the crowd Desiree?
9: I think that every standard trainer is probably the most patient human being in the world
4: <laughs> <laughs> or
9: any horse trainer in general, especially when you're working with uh, young trotters, it can be really frustrating. And there's times that you can get really, really, really down on yourself. Uh, especially when you're passionate about what you do. I think biggest thing is having to go through failure. You know, there's a lot of even little things like training babies uh, one day, all your babies might train bad, and you might think, "You know I have a horrible stable, like <laughs> what am I even doing this for?" And then the next weekend comes around, and they all train fantastic, so you just have to have have to have a lot of patience, you have to always understand to flip the page, even if it's a bad race night or just a bad training day it's uh, sometimes it's very hard to do, but you have to believe in yourself, you have to be patient.
4: So when you started training, there there probably had to be some pressure on you, right, because of who your dad was and, like, he was an accomplished trainer. Uh, did you feel pressured at the very beginning?
9: You know, I, I always say to people I got very, very lucky, not only with my father, but with Stormont Meadows and Eric as an owner. They kind of both just handed the lines to me, and they were always there for any support that I needed, but they didn't criticize many things that i did there was a lot of times where they realized that i would have to learn things on my own so and that's the biggest thing as a trainer sometimes you do have to fail at something to understand that that's not going to work for that certain horse and there's not actually a guidebook on how to do this or everybody would follow Mm -hmm. it you know so there's there's a lot of things that you just kind of have to suffer through and eric and my dad they they really were good at doing that they were good at teaching me what i needed to know when they spoke up. And then they were also fantastic at kind of just letting me learn and letting me try my own things. And the business evolves every year. So tactics change. And my father also understood that. But there's a lot of things that, that I learned from both of them.
1: And have you changed your tactic? Have you changed your style of training over the years that you've been doing this?
9: Uh, you know, I kept a lot of my training techniques from my father the same. He he was very patient and he trained a lot of train uh, trotters, but I think that you have to take your time. It's one of my biggest beliefs is you have to take your time. You have to have the foundation and a horse before you forge them on too fast. Uh, it, with that mentality, I'm very much so old school. Uh, I would say I try to jump on anything new that comes out as well, you know, like my dad never had magnawave wave therapy or people are really big on chiropractors or new swimming techniques and there's a lot of things that come out that we had never heard of back when he was young, right? So uh, I try to combine the two together with modern techniques and some of his old techniques.
4: So when you're not training, what do you do to relax?
10: Oh
9: wow! <laughs> you don't. Um, I I I, yeah, I actually try to do just that in Florida. It's really nice. I really take advantage of our time here because we're not rushing out to go to Lasix or we're not going to retention barn and racing every night or training at Mohawk every morning. So you know, I I really realize that our time here is it's very good downtime. Uh, so here I'll go and sit by the pool and have a glass of wine, you know, and really enjoy (laughs) afternoon.
1: So you've got a couple of months where you can train, you can focus, you can also have that glass of wine at the end of a really good day. Tell us what happens when you start up again. How does it happen? What are you looking forward to? What are your hopes and goals for 2024?
9: Well, you know, regardless of what caliber of horses you have, every trainer puts in the same amount of input and work, right? So we're all just hoping that By the end of the season, we can say that it was all worth it. And uh, going back last year, I really felt like I had a really good group of babies. And as soon as you get there, it's nonstop. You're trucking trailer loads of horses and harnesses into the track two, three times a week. Uh, We were stabled at a farm with a half mile track. So we ended up having to ship into Mohawk a lot more than we wanted to, but it was good experience for the horses and it was great for the trotters. The turns are a lot bigger. It it just worked out better. So as, as much as it was a lot of really, really hard work for my grooms and myself, uh, they put it in and I put it in and in the end it paid off. But you're, you're really aiming for those big races. You know, you kind of go home and you weed out the horses that you don't think are going to be top caliber stakes horses. And you do that sometime after qualifiers. And then the ones that you are really, really high on, you try to aim them for the big ones. And all you can really do is manage them the best that you can and, aim them for those dates and sometimes it works out and sometimes they, your heart falls out of your chest. So <laughs> that's, uh, yeah.
1: You are so focused, so articulate and you're only 30. I can't believe it. You've got such a great future ahead of you.
9: Yeah. Thank you very much.
4: Well, before we let you go, Desiree, uh, we started this interview with the, you know, mention that you have been uh, nominated for an O'Brien Award Woohoo! in, uh, and I believe that's in February. What does it mean to you and your career if you win?
9: Oh wow! Well, uh, I know I'm stable down here at Sunshine Meadows with trainers that have been nominated for multiple O'Brien Awards, and it was something I looked up to them coming up, you know, like Casey Coleman's down here with me. She's been nominated for countless. I have Freddie Grant down here. He's in the Hall of Fame back home. Like, you're just surrounded by people that have been so successful. And just to have an o- one O'Brien Award standing next to them is such an honor. You know, it, and it makes the people around you that root for you proud. So I think that that's what's very important to me.
1: And who will you thank first when you win?
9: I would thank my dad and Eric Baker and then of course Gino. Gino is the one that has put all of this money and all of uh, the passion, you know, he uh, he puts a lot forward here for us and it's everything that he has is on the line and he trusts us and all we can really do is forge forward and hope that we can make back some of his money. <laughs>
4: Well, Desiree, thanks for doing this, and good luck with the O'Brien Awards, and good luck with uh, the season this year.
9: Yes, thank you very much, guys. Thank you for having me. And we will be
1: watching you. Desiree Jones, thank you. (laughs)
9: Thank you.
1: Mm -hmm. Time for a break. When we come back, Robert Reed Jr. joins us on Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine.
0: Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine. Brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Listen live at
5: 1059theregion.com. Are you looking for a reliable propane supplier for your home or business? Look no further than RS Bulk Propane, Canadian-owned and family-operated. With our premium propane solutions, you'll experience warmth like never before. We offer competitive prices, automated deliveries, and exceptional customer service. Don't let the cold get the best of you. Stay cozy with RS Bulk Propane. Visit rspropane.com or call us today at 855-225-0225.
1: We are so pleased to be joined once again by Robert Reed Jr., the editor of the Horse Players Journal for Woodbine Mohawk Park, also covering harness racing at Western Fair Raceway in London and so much more. Before we get into the nut of the interview, Robert, welcome. What are your other titles? What are your other hats?
10: Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure to uh, to be here. And you know, you know, there's a lot that I do basically throughout the season. This is kind of the slow period for me because I write the Horse Horseplayers Journal now. I also do the broadcast every Tuesday night uh, at the raceway in London. Uh, summertime, though, I'm handicapping several. Um, you know, of the uh, smaller tracks in Ontario, as well as doing the broadcast at Grand River. I even dabble into um, uh, the JRA, which is the Japan Racing Association, Sturbridge Racing in Japan. I do their uh, selections for the U.S. broadcast uh, through the uh, main part of their Grade One season. So, yeah, it's been um, it's it's been pretty awesome. You know, the, the opportunities I've had over the last few years, and I'm looking forward to uh, even expanding that uh, in the years to come.
4: Well, let's uh, talk first about some of the highlights at Woodbine Mohawk Park last year. What were some of the highlights to you? It was a great season of racing. Uh, What were some of the toppers?
10: Well, for me, Larry, it it really comes down to the the people sometimes, because, you know, that's my favourite part of the the gig is uh, the work I did with Ontario Racing actually last summer in the OSS program, getting to talk to the drivers and trainers uh, on the big nights of uh, racing for that program. So I think for me that the two things that kind of stand out to begin with, is kind of the the continuance of the dominance of James McDonald. You know, seeing him evolve as a driver. Uh, over the years has been uh, really remarkable. Um, and just watching him, you know, win three, four, five races a night uh, has been um, really nice to see. Uh, I also like it when a new driver hits the circuit because it kind of shakes things up and makes racing a little more interesting. And that happened with Tyler Borth towards, you know, the latter part of 2023. And I think we're going to see him play a big part. Uh, in that driver's colony going forward. And, uh, of course, I got to cover him very closely at the Western Fair and Grand River Raceway before that. And he's an extremely talented individual. Um, you know, obviously the the, the stake season was incredible once again. And the one performance that kind of just sticks out of my head, you know, when, when you ask me that question, think of one equine performance, it would be TCI mm-hmm. uh, in the Mohawk Million making a – monstrous comeback uh, after making a break in stride. I was working the COSA TV broadcast with with uh, Greg Blanchard that night, and we could believe that that's who that horse was on the far outside after making that miscue at the start and putting himself in such a deep hole. So that's the one that kind of stands out to me.
1: And do you think that races like that really helped last year to put Woodbine Mohawk Park on the map and even then some?
10: They definitely do. I mean, obviously, people kind of train their eyes, you know, to, to the big dances, right? Those big races, million-dollar events, signature stakes, uh, uh, contests. And I think that, you know, when you have a race, like that, where a horse overcomes what seems to be impossible to start, that reaches an audience beyond harness racing, right? Because if you show that video on, you know, on YouTube or on like a uh, nightly sports news broadcast, they're going to take notice to it. Wow, look at this horse! You look how far back he was, and he still came back to win. Um, and and also other stakes events too, just some of the performances that were, uh, you know, were done uh, on the uh, seven-eighths oval on Mohawk Park that th- you can't help but fall in love with the sport when you watch some of them.
4: And now you're, as you said, it's it's kind of a slower time of the year, so uh, you're at uh, Western Fair. Talk about Western Fair in London. And as a handicapper, is there certain components that you use when you're handicapping like a a half-mile track, like uh, Western Fair, compared to a seven-eighths mile at Woodbine Mohawk Park?
10: Oh, yeah I'd say it's a totally different, totally different ball game and and the thing is is that you know I grew up Larry you know throughout going to race tracks Ontario with my you know my dad and and kind of following the Sire stakes circuit you know before I could uh, uh even probably uh read the program uh, when I was very young. And uh, I loved half mile racing and five racing. Red Greenwood Raceway to me is is always going to be the uh, the, you know, the mecca of harness racing in Canada, anyways. And it's a shame that it's gone. But um, the differences are are paramount because first and foremost, post position kind of becomes. A way bigger factor, right? A Mohawk Park, you can start from the outermost post and have a shot. But you know, you've got the seven, eight hole, nine hole there. if You've got tactical speed; you should be okay uh, rolling out of there to, to get forward placed. place. Right. Whereas, if you're in a race that's kind of filled with you know horses that can leave towards the inside, and you draw the outside uh, spot uh, on one of the half mile tracks, you're going to be in uh, uh, for a long night if you try to go forward off the switch. So, it's. Um, there's a lot of different components you need to factor in. And the thing about half-mile racing is is that there's a lot more movement in the race because it has to happen that way to get position you've got a long run to the first turn you know on a track like mohawk park so things kind of get settled and the race might actually start on the final turn whereas they're usually typically racing at every point uh, on a half mile service especially at the raceway we say it all the time myself and sugar doyle we do the broadcast together on tuesday nights there and uh, they don't sit in london They, they race at the raceway and that's something we're really proud of
1: you know it's interesting you are a broadcaster an analyst you are an editor what is it about handicapping that draws you to it?
10: Well, I've just been around it my my entire life. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's something that you fall in love with. Once horse racing, harness racing is in your blood, you're you're never going to you know walk away from it. You know, I actually throughout my life. Obviously, you know, at one point I, you know, went to school and then I I, I ventured off and had a career in something totally different than what I'm doing right now. But at the end of the day, I always wanted to get back to harness racing because I fell in love with it as as a young child Um, and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what horse is going to win a race, like putting together pieces of a puzzle. And I've always said, too, whether you're owning a racehorse or you're wagering on a racehorse, it's kind of, um, you know, it's you, right? You're putting yourself out there. And it's a clear kind of depiction of yourself and, and your abilities as well. So if you're if you're right about it, then um, you know it, it feels pretty good. Even more so if you've got a wager, uh, you know, <laughs> on the race and maybe you make a little bit of money. But um, I've always found that um, you know handicappings, you know, it's a challenging you know puzzle, uh, but one that if you kind of can put it all together, uh, it can be fruitful, uh, you know, you know, both financially, um, uh, you know, and intrinsically.
4: And being brought up at a track like Greenwood certainly helped, didn't it?
10: Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Greenwood Raceway, um, Larry, for for me, you know, going there like, you know, probably five nights a week with my dad, (laughs) you know, before... Before, you know, most kids would even know what a racetrack was, um, was uh, some of the best times of my life. I mean, the the cast of characters at Greenwood Raceway, from top to bottom, uh, you could write a book about it, you could do a movie about it, and people would not believe that that actually happened, because it was just such a... An eclectic mix of everything you can imagine, uh, you know, in the beaches in Toronto. You know what I mean? Like the location couldn't be any better, um, and the racing was fantastic on a nightly basis. Five-eighths, seven-mile racing is always going to be one of my favorites. Looking forward to Grand River Raceway actually transitioning their half-mile to a five-eighths-mile uh, track uh, next season. Um, because of that and, uh, and yeah, Greenwood Raceway, like I, I can't say enough when you tell stories about it and you know, this Larry, people still to this day, don't, you know, believe it. And if they, they never were there to experience it, they'll never, Truly understand, but it's always nice when you talk to someone who was a mainstay at Greenwood, and you can share stories and memories because it truly was to me the greatest racetrack in the history of the world.
1: And you probably would agree, wouldn't you, Larry? I would. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you could just take the streetcar to get there—I love that part of it. Well, that was a
4: that was a treat. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. you saw, some of the guys just saw getting on the streetcar; like you could write a book about them too, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: you know, I find it interesting, and I'll say this to both you and and to, to Larry. Every guest, and maybe you would agree with this, Larry, just about every guest that we have on the show attributes his or her exposure to horse racing and passion for it to his or her parents, mm-hmm. the father. And in your case, your father, Robert, it, it just, I find it fascinating, but every guest has said, my mother took me, my father took me, my parents took me, My and that gave me the exposure and the start of love of horse racing.
10: Yeah, and, and it makes sense. I mean, I think pretty much everyone that I know probably would share the same stories. Right. And I think, you know, for me, it was always important, um, growing up, you know, people, when I, I owned racehorses when I, at a very young age, and I used to always try to bring as many people as I could to the track on an nightly basis. And I hope to see more of that. Right. Younger people like I was back then, I'm a little bit older now. Um, but, uh, you know, seeing them kind of get into the sport and then get their friends involved because once someone comes out and experiences it one time, they're going to want to come back the key is is getting them to come out that first time and, and the people that are you know involved in it and are passionate about it they're our greatest advocates.
1: And in your case, it was five nights a week.
10: <laughs> yeah, it it was. Yeah, no, it was. It was one of those things where I played sports as a kid. Um, but at the end of the day, like it would kind of hurt sometimes when you know my dad would go to the Greenwood Raceway and I'd have a baseball game. You know, like I'd kind of be like, man, I wish I was at Greenwood. So um, it's it was it was very different. You know, a lot of my friends played video games a lot, and, and I was uh, watching race replays.
4: You mentioned earlier about uh, TCI's win in the, uh, the million last year. Would you consider that the most impressive race you ever watched as a, as a fan or for as long as you've been watching racing, or were there others?
10: It's up there. It definitely is up there, but there's one race that I can never get away from. I, I, there's one race that I I remember watching or where I was when I watched it. Uh, and I still go back and watch it uh, numerous times throughout the year. It's a 2015 Little Brown Jug, Wiggle It, Jiggle It against Lost for Words. And I was lost for words after that race <laughs> because I was a big fan of Wiggle It, Jiggle It. And I thought there was no chance the trip he got that he could, in any way possible, emerge victorious in that race. And he somehow did it. Uh, he did it on pure heart and grit. And I just remember, you know, watching that race. And I got goosebumps, like when he got his nose up and I think everyone was speechless. You know, it was one of those ones where no one believed what they witnessed. And, and when you go back and watch it, you almost think that it's, it's not going to play out that way in the replay. Larry, you think that he might get beat this time, but he always gets his nose in front. So (laughs) that race for me is one that I can watch. A thousand times without getting sick of it and and i don't know if that will ever get topped for the greatest performance i've ever seen by a racehorse
1: anybody in your vision for the future is there anybody that you've got your eye on and i'm talking obviously about a trotter uh, that that might um actually surpass what you have just talked about
10: um i don't see, that's so tough to say you know i people will usually ask me about you know what uh you know, horses will do next season, and what horse do you like for for you know the North America Cup uh, or any of the big stakes races coming up? And 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 for me, it's always a wait and see approach. Like, is there something on my radar right now that you know I'm looking for? Uh, horses really can mature differently from one year to the next. Some horses regress, some horses take insane step forward. So, I. Uh, I would say at this point no, but that to me is a pound for pound performance. And wiggle Jiggles is one of my favorite horses of all time, but uh, for a racehorse that I think did things I've never seen before in a racetrack, it's Bulldog Hanover. And I'm I don't know sure if Larry will agree, but uh, he to me, I always said Nyatras was the greatest racehorse of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get to see him race live. I watched a lot of replays. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people that saw him race several times, uh, but I don't know how I could put anyone ahead of Bulldog Hanover, and I know recency bias is a big thing in all of sports, but to me, uh, he did things that I didn't think were possible, and and he will, for the time being anyways, be my uh, horse that could be considered as the greatest of all time.
4: Well, we're going to put you to work now, Robert. Uh, before we let you go, you're going to uh, take a look at tonight's uh, Woodbine Mohawk uh, Park card and give us a couple of winners.
10: Yeah, Saturday night's uh, Mohawk Park. It's, it's always a good card, right? 11 bashes, and I've got a, I have got really like the opening like sequence in the pick five because in the Horse Players Journal, I've got both my best bet uh, and my spot play. So that doesn't always happen. They don't always align that way, but they did in this situation. Race three is my best bet. Number nine, Highland Beach Lover. Could not have got a worse trip last time out. Blasted out from an outside starting spot made a break in stride. Usually that's going to be, you know, night over. He regathered himself, ended up first over a long way before fading out of it. Um, And this horse does have a tendency to get bad trips. So sometimes you got to be careful of horses that, you know, have just enough tactical speed to get themselves into trouble, but he drops down in class now and off that latest effort. I love him in this spot and and Carmen Osiello's barman kind of heating up as of late. So I think he's, you know, got a big chance from post nine. I don't think he'll be the seven to two he is in the morning line, uh, but I'm hoping, you know, a shade below that will be more than enough value. And then in race four, right after that, 10 to one morning line. Again, not sure we get that price on the four unison. Horse has been racing much better than advertised. Um, and he gets along so well with Jody Jameson. He's back aboard tonight. And I think uh, he's worth uh, a poke at any kind of a reasonable price. I'd say about, you know, eight to one or higher. Uh, you can can certainly fire some bullets on him.
1: Wow. Thank you for donning your handicapping hat. And now hats off to you, Robert Reed Jr., and thank you for joining us on Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine. Well done.
10: Always a pleasure to be here, guys. Can't wait to be back next time.
1: And we feel the same way about you. We do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Robert.
10: Thank you. Have a great day, guys.
1: After the break, Larry Simpson looks at some racing action today around North America, including Woodbine Mohawk Park and, of course, some racing at several other North American tracks. Please make sure your HPI accounts and Dark Horse app are ready to work overtime today. Stay with us for Lucky Larry's Ponies Picks of the Day, sponsored by Rocket Ship Racing.
0: Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Listen live
8: at 1059theregion.com. Get your horsepower at OntarioRacing.com and experience the excitement. Ontario Racing, three breeds, one vision.
7: Pine View Hyundai, the smart choice of automobile dealerships, combining horses and horsepower. For over 35 years, the Romeo family has been a part of the Ontario thoroughbred racing industry, and they want to invite you to visit their Pine view dealership and view their award-winning Hyundai lineup today and take advantage of some hot summer savings deals. Come see us at 3790 Highway 7 in Vaughn. Call us at 905-851-2851 to make an appointment or visit our website, pineviewauto.com and see why Pineview Hyundai remains the smart choice.
0: This is 105.9 The Region. Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, covering the world of horse racing, is brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Over to your hosts, Ann Romer and Larry Simpson.
1: Before we wrap up our show, what would Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine, be without a couple of possible betting opportunities and potential betting gems as... Very lucky Larry gives us his ponies' picks of the day, sponsored by Rocketship Racing, a cornucopia of races this weekend. You must have writer's cramp by now.
4: I do, <laughs> in both hands, actually, because I'm, I'm ambidextrous. <laughs> so. oh,
1: you said that so well. <laughs> I know.
4: I know. Let's start at uh, Fairgrounds. They're home to the Lecomte Stakes today, which offers points to the uh, first Saturday in May, which is the Kentucky Derby. Uh, the Lecomte is uh, race 13 and the last race of a stakes-filled fairgrounds card, and sees eight horses set to go a mile and a sixteenth for a purse of $200,000 for the Grade 3 event. Number two, Nash, was a beaten favorite on December 23rd in the Gunrunner Stakes after demolishing a field of maiden special weights by 10 and a quarter lengths at Churchill Downs in November. In that blowout win, Nash took a field-best 97 buyer, but was not able to run back to that speed number in the Gunrunner, where he was third to track Phantom, who he meets again today. It should be noted that Nash stumbled at the start and put himself at a disadvantage. Trainer Brad Cox has worked Nash twice since that last race, including a five-furlong breeze of a minute and four. And friend of the show, jockey Flo Giroux, is back aboard Nash today, and he was actually aboard Ethan Energy, Brad Cox's other entrant in the Lecomte, when he broke his maiden in December. Flo and Brad Cox are combined 44% in 2023 and 2024, I like this horse, Fairgrounds, race 13, the La Comte Stakes, number 2, Nash. Santa Anita has a 9 race card today, including the La Canada Stakes, a grade 3 for fillies and mares, and race 8, that is the race 8, La Stakes. Race 7, though, is a maiden uh, special weight, mile and an eighth on the turf for maiden 3-year-old fillies, a purse of $65,000. A field of 9 have been entered, including number 9, American Dreammaker, who debuted on Boxing Day at a mile on the turf, and broke last in a field of 12, but went on to pass half the field and finish uh, sixth, despite lacking room at the 3-16th pole. In that race, American Dream Maker was noticed galloping out well past the wire, so the extra eighth of a mile today should really help this daughter of American Pharoah. Since that race, trainer Michael McCarthy has worked this filly twice, uh, and since that unveiling, he's gone a 48 handily on January 7th and 101 and 4 on January 14th. Second-time start, second-time long are both improvement angles, and trainer McCarthy and Jockey Hernandez are a combined 20% in 2023 and 2024. So San Anita, race 7, number 9, American Dreammaker. Woodbine Mohawk Park has an 11 race card tonight, and race 10 is a one-mile pace for $18,000. Eight have been entered, including number 1, somewhere in Tuscany, who has been lights out since being claimed for $15,000 by leading trainer Richard Moreau. Winning three of four starts, including last week against a similar class where he drew off to win by three lengths in 153 and three at 16 to one odds. The track last week was two seconds off, which makes that last race even more impressive. And again, Sylvan Fillion will be sitting behind somewhere in Tuscany tonight. He showed he should get a cozy trip from the inside post, and I'm certainly uh, you can't knock the great shape that this guy keeps retaining from week to week. So, Woodbine Mohawk Park. Race 10, number one, somewhere in Tuscany. The Meadowlands hosts another 14 race card tonight, and race seven is a one mile pace, a purse of $17,000. Number four, AVF Claire, looks like she has turned the corner since shipping from Yonkers in December. From the nine hole last week, AVF Claire virtually went wire to wire in 151 and 2, which actually was a lifetime mark for this girl. The two starts prior to the last week's were also excellent, with a third race finish and a a four-and-a-half-length victory at a lower class. Driver George Brennan, who was in the bike last week, sits behind this horse tonight, and this girl looks to have a great shot at winning two in a row and three out of her last four races. So the Meadowlands Race 7, number four, AVF Claire.
1: Thank you, Larry. Outstanding as always. I look forward to being with you next Saturday. And before we go, a quick shout out to Mark at Fans of Horse Racing. Hey, Mark. And goodbye to all of you listening. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Ponies 24-7 the radio magazine. Just a reminder if you would like to receive a free digital copy of the current issue of Ponies 24-7 magazine and a new one will be released shortly, please email Larry Simpson at theponies247experience at gmail.com and please don't forget about the ponies 24-7 Lymphoma Canada campaign. Don't horse around with lymphoma. For more information on this, go to the landing page, lymphoma.ca slash ponies. Please donate to this very worthy cause. Stay with 105.9 The Region all weekend long, and thank you so much for listening.
0: Ponies 24-7, the radio magazine with Ann Romer and Larry Simpson has been brought to you by Woodbine, Woodbine Mohawk Park, Ontario Racing, and Rocket Ship Racing. Tune in next Saturday morning at 8 for more from the world of horse racing. This is 105.9 The Region.